Welcome to season two of Sorting Pen, the California Cattlemen's podcast. Every day, the California Cattlemen's Association is sorting through the issues impacting California's ranching families and producers. To communicate those issues, discuss solutions, and keep ranchers current on the hot topics, CCA leadership developed this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sorting Pen. We are discussing a brand new topic today that we haven't covered on this podcast. We're going to be looking at a recent Supreme Court case decision that's going to be one to watch uh, moving forward. Joining me to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on West Virginia versus the EPA and what it could mean for cattle producers in California and across the West is the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Mary Thomas Hart. Thanks so much for joining me, Mary Thomas. Thanks for having me, Katie. Mary Thomas is joining us from Washington, D.C. Super excited to talk to her about this case. She is the environmental counsel for NCBA. I know that you have a lot to watch these days and work on as far as climate policy being discussed and litigation happening on environmental regulation. So thanks for making the time. Before we start, I was just wondering if you'd give us a little bit of background about yourself and who you are and the work you do in D.C. on behalf of U.S. cattle ranchers. Of course. Yeah, I I think I have the best job in D.C., but, you know, I think everyone in the NCBA office argues over who who has the best job. As NCBA's Environmental Council, I get to kind of run point on all of our EPA engagement and engagement on all environmental issues generally, whether it be regulatory concerns or voluntary conservation work. That happens both on Capitol Hill at administrative agencies in Washington, D.C., and when necessary, through litigation. So, you know, we're going to talk about a Supreme Court case today. We have some more Supreme Court cases coming up in the fall. We get to engage uh, with all three branches of federal government. Let's talk about what this case was. So I mentioned in the intro that it's called West Virginia versus the EPA. Could you first start with maybe explaining what the issue in this case was, and then we can go into the decision and what it could mean for producers? Of course. So, you know, I think cattle producers and and the ag industry really starting way back in 2013, we were really focused on the definition of WOTUS, right? And the 2015 WOTUS rule, the the Trump administration's WOTUS rule, um, and and how all of that was moving through EPA and the court system. But while EPA was, was writing a definition of WOTUS, they were also writing what was called the Clean Power Plan during the Obama administration. And, you know, we weren't directly uh, impacted by the Clean Power Plan. We're not regulated directly by the Federal Clean Air Act. Um, but a lot of industries who were engaged in the WOTUS rulemaking were also equally, if not more, worried about the Clean Power Plan. The Clean Power Plan from the Obama administration finalized in 2015 was set to practically mandate the coal-fired power plants across the country to switch from coal power generation to renewable energy. This kind of massive industry-wide shift in electricity generation and the question for the Supreme Court after almost seven years of litigation was whether the Clean Air Act authorized EPA to write a rule that that changed the makeup of an entire industry. Um, so certainly a, a big question for the EPA, a big question about the extent of agency rulemaking power. And that decision is going to have some pretty, pretty uh broad effects. Yeah. So as we've been talking about WOTUS for all this time, that industry has also been 
worrying about this on top of that? Absolutely. Yes. So especially, you know, the manufacturing industry, the uh, electric companies and and associations that represent those uh, those electric utilities and public utilities, they have I would say they really had to split their time between worrying about WOTUS and worrying about the clean power plan. So in a way, I'm glad that we've only been able to focus on the definition of WOTUS because the clean power plan has certainly been a doozy of a rule for the people who are directly impacted by it. Yeah, I would agree. I think we're all tired of the word WOTUS. So having to deal with something equally as painful or as time consuming might have just been too much for us. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about what was the decision of the Supreme Court um, that came out in June. So the Supreme Court in a 6-3 decision and the majority opinion was written by Chief Justice Roberts. The Supreme Court found that the EPA did not have authority under the Clean Air Act as it's currently written to write and enforce the Clean Power Plan. So going back, there is precedent from the Supreme Court that says that the EPA has authority somewhere in that act to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. But in the like 15 years since that original opinion, where the Supreme Court did find authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions, the EPA has tried multiple times to use different sections of the Clean Air Act to regulate greenhouse gas emissions with little success. So this was just the latest attempt to find a spot in the Clean Air Act where they could regulate greenhouse gas emissions through the shifting of objectives generation sources from coal-fired power plants to renewable energy. And the Supreme Court said that, you know, until Congress makes clear that EPA has that authority, it can't act in that way. And, And it brought up this really interesting question that I think probably the Supreme Court teased out for the first time in the West Virginia case. And that's called the major question doctrine. So that really is going to be the part of this decision that impacts other agency actions, other EPA actions. So the major questions doctrine, just to kind of highlight that really quickly, is this concept that when a question, when an issue that an administrative agency is working on particularly politically divisive, something like climate change, for example, that there is a heightened standard for Congress to be clear about what it wants the agency to do. The Supreme Court doesn't want an agency to be acting uh, in a way that is wholly dependent on the administration in power. The Supreme Court has made clear that it doesn't want an agency like the EPA to write and finalize a rule only because it is the, the political will of the president. It wants to make sure that those agencies, whether it be the EPA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the Supreme Court wants to make sure that those agencies are following Congress's statutory intent primarily, first and foremost, that we're looking at the the text of the law before we write and finalize administrative rules. Yeah, so you just mentioned a few, um, the USDA other agencies, this is going to have a huge impact on. Um, What are you guys expecting? Is there any expectation of how this will continue rippling 
and have a rippling effect on other agencies? The clearest example is going to be any rulemaking that is rooted in, you know, climate change as a focus for, you know, why the rule is being written, why the rule is being finalized. Because as we know, uh, Congress hasn't said much, especially in the last two years, about agency rulemakings related to climate change. Because Congress is historically gridlocked, right? We're not seeing a lot of bipartisan legislation related Mm -hmm. to climate change specifically and really empowering agencies to enact aggressive climate change rules. So one example in particular, I think it is the Securities and Exchange Commission's proposed rule to mandate greenhouse gas emissions reporting from publicly traded entities. Now, Similar to the Clean Power Plan, I think that you know farmers and ranchers would probably look at a proposed rule from the SEC and say, that's not really going to affect us. We're not publicly traded companies. But this proposed rule from the SEC would require reporting from both from scope one emissions or direct emissions, scope two or emissions from electricity and energy generation and scope three or supply chain emissions. So that means that under this proposed rule, any publicly traded company that sells beef would be required to report emissions from the beef production supply chain to the federal government. We don't have currently an accurate way to calculate and submit that data up and down the supply chain. EPA has been working on developing accurate emissions estimation methodologies for about 15 years with little success. So until there's a way for us to accurately report that information, uh, we don't want to be subject to reporting requirements, whether they come from the federal government or, you know, a publicly traded company up and down the supply chain. Um, I think that's one example where we're going to see the federal government really have to balance what it saw in the West Virginia case with the the kind of political desire to finalize more aggressive climate policies. Um, In our conversations with the SEC, they've acknowledged that the West Virginia case is certainly going to have an impact on their ability to finalize a rule and then keep that rule on the books. So, you know, as the Biden administration is is going through this process, it's going to have to ask itself, you know, do we want to finalize rules that may look good during an election season, or is there a genuine interest in finalizing rules that maybe aren't as aggressive, but provide some progress when it comes to, you know, combating climate change, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, achieving some some long-term success in that space. Absolutely. And that's a huge example you just gave right there. I know it's something NCBA was very involved in and something we pushed out to our members. I also saw you did an interview on RFT TV talking about this case. And in that brief interview, you mentioned that this decision's going to have impact on existing litigation. You said specifically when it comes to how far an administration can go to push policy priorities that are maybe outside of the statutory authority, um, which you were just talking about. Are there any other examples you have of cases NCBA is working on or you're working on relevant to ranching that you think this decision could also influence? So, you know, I I think another good example is going to come from the Fish and Wildlife Service, right? So we've seen a proposed rule from the Fish and Wildlife Service to kind of change up how they view experimental populations and what areas they can release those experimental populations into. Um, Typically, 
or historically, those experimental populations have been limited to the historical range of the species in question. Um, but the Fish and Wildlife Service is proposing to expand that habitat area beyond historical range because of the risk created by climate change. Now, is there text in the statute in the Endangered Species Act that allows the Fish and Wildlife Service to expand that uh, beyond historic range? We don't think so. Um, and submitted comments to the docket making that clear. So I think that's going to be another space, very different from the SEC consideration, but certainly in the wildlife space, I think there are going to be some additional rules that have to take into account the impact of this West Virginia decision. I think it's also important to highlight where we're not going to see impact from this decision, and that is in the WOTUS case that the Supreme Court's going to consider this fall. This case, the precedent created in West Virginia, has really important precedent, creates a really important precedent in the kind of narrow sense of litigation on agency rulemakings. The Sackett case that the Supreme Court is going to consider this fall is not dealing directly with an administrative definition of WOTUS. That's a question for the Supreme Court about which test to use in defining WOTUS. Um, those tests that are going to be considered have been introduced by the Supreme Court itself. So it's really the Supreme Court considering the Supreme Court's definitions of WOTUS. Um, so not going to see West Virginia have a direct impact in this fall's WOTUS litigation, um, but certainly going to have an impact that is, I think, far-reaching through the administration, whether we're talking about securities, rulemakings, or wildlife regulations. Sure, yeah. Thanks for making that clarification on the case coming up this fall regarding WOTUS. But like you said, it looks like there's going to be a lot of other realms that this will impact. So we'll look for updates on that and continue to see how it plays out. But while I had you here, I also wanted to just touch briefly with you about the Inflation Reduction Act, which is actually expected, I believe, to be signed into law today by the president. Climate change, as we all know, is one of the big provisions in the act that's getting a lot of attention in addition to health care. Are there any environmental pieces to this piece of legislation that NCBA and you are particularly worried about that could hinder the work of cattle producers? You know, I think that my biggest concern, I think NCBA's biggest concern with this legislation was the process. You know, there is some, I think, helpful substantive, substantive uh, pieces of, of policy in the IRA. It is a little concerning that a lot of this bill's development and a lot of the programmatic development happened behind closed doors, right? Sure. So um, we got some, I think, really helpful conservation funding for existing oversubscribed conservation programs. A lot of text that we would usually see in a farm bill, funding for programs like EQIP, CSP, ASEP, and RCPP were all included in the IRA. And I, I think that that's the product of NCBA and other ag groups being a, a consistent voice in D.C., telling Congress that agriculture is a climate solution, right, that we're not a part of the problem, that voluntary conservation is one of the best tools in the toolbox to use for reducing our industry's climate impact. I think that that message has been received loud and clear. I was really happy to see the acknowledgement of those programs in the IRA. 
I think there were certainly concerns with the process substantively. I think, you know, we're okay with where those pieces ended up still a lot of work to be done in the farm bill process. So just because we got some funding for some programs in the IRA doesn't mean that our work is done, especially when it comes to the conservation title of the farm bill. Absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned those really important positive pieces of the legislation that NCBA I know has worked hard on and our members do take advantage of as well. What is the best way to keep up with NCBA and all the climate issues that your team's working on? Of course, if your members aren't already members of NCBA, we encourage you to join. You can go to policy.ncba.org to keep up with the latest uh, in the NCBA policy space. You can read our policy book there. You can get updates on kind of hot button topics and follow us on social media. We, you know, provide podcast information. We uh, tweet out when when important things are happening. There will certainly be a lot going on. Uh, in D.C. this fall. So follow along with us on social media and certainly join NCBA. Thanks, Mary Thomas. You can actually join NCBA through joining CCA. We have an option on our application to just join NCBA. It's all in one application um, and we'll get that sent over to NCBA so you can be a member of both. I really do appreciate your time, Mary Thomas. Like you said, it's going to be a busy fall for you guys. I know um, your team's already working on farm bill priorities that were set at mid-year and that's just going to come as quickly as the fall is coming. But again, thanks so much for your time. And I'm glad that we got to cover this case today. Thank you so much, Katie. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sorting Pin in two weeks, actually on Labor Day Monday. I know it's hard to believe that we are actually already to this point in the summer. I'm a little sad about it, but besides the point, we will have a brand new episode out on Labor Day. This episode will be with a veterinarian who works for the California Department of Food and Ag on their antimicrobial use and stewardship program. Tune in to learn more about antibiotic resistance and what this program is doing on the subject. Resources available to help cow-calf producers with managing herd health, including pink eye, and much more. We'll have that episode for you, but until then, make sure to subscribe and we'll talk to you soon.